We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. If you can believe that, we've only been there several uh, Sundays, but we're going to be there again this Sunday. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be speaking about confidence, being careful, and guarding. It's kind of a two-part sermon, so tonight you'll have to come back to hear the rest of it. But let's stand together as we read 1 John chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 13. I still hear a page or two turning. 1 John 5, verse 13, the Bible says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that He hears us in whatever we ask. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. Verse 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Lord, bless Your Word today for us. And Father, give us the understanding and give us what we need to take from it today for our life individually. Teach us, Father, to be confident and careful and guarding in everything we do, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, whether a person realizes it or not, there is a deep longing for prayer found in each human being. It only takes a little bit of danger and a little bit of circumstance to bring it out of every person, whether they believe or not. That's where we get the term, there's no atheist in a foxhole, right? Everybody calls out to God at one time or another. Under pressure and under danger is a deep-seated desire for us to call out to God. Several years ago, we had an event that we all talk about and reflect on, and it was called 9-11. It happened 20 years ago. September the 11th, 2001. It's said of that day that God heard from many strangers on that day. Men have a desire to call out to God. Prayer. What is that? Talking to God? Yeah, it's talking to God. It's hearing from God. Even though we don't understand it fully. We really don't know the details about prayer. We all understand that we have it available to us. It's kind of puzzling when you think about prayer. Does it really work? 
I don't know about you, but my prayer batting average over the last 30 years is pretty low. And you might be surprised to hear me say that, but maybe I'll describe it and you'll associate with it. I've prayed for the salvation of many people that have not been saved. I've prayed for the restoration of many a Christian who walked away from the church and walked away from Christ. They haven't come back. I've prayed. I've been on my knees. I've cried tears for those kinds of people. I have prayed over marriages that they would be reconciled. I pray that they would stay together. I prayed wholeheartedly for that. And they still failed and they still broke up. Oh, yeah, there's been answered prayer in my life. But there's been a lot of prayer that hasn't been answered in my life. So when I say we're going to talk about prayer and we really don't understand it, we have the inclination to think that whatever we ask of God, He will give to us because we're His children. And we ask things that are proper. We don't ask abusively. We don't ask for things that are out of the ordinary. We, we want the truth. We want God's kingdom to flourish and to be known. But does God always answer the prayers the way we want them answered? And you know, that's no. The answer to that is no. It's, it's still a mystery to us. Prayer, if I said that I prayed for people to be saved, but they haven't been, isn't God big enough to save them? If I prayed for the restoration of a Christian to return to the flock or return to the Lord, but they haven't, isn't God big enough to restore that person to himself? If I pray for the healing of marriages, isn't God big enough to put two people together? So why doesn't it work if that's what I pray for? Sometimes we lean to this way, it must be my fault. You know, there are denominations who believe if you don't pray with enough faith, then you might as well just be praying to the wind. And that's not true. That's not the case. It's not upon my faith that God determines things in his kingdom, right? I'm not in charge of that. But I do think sometimes it's my fault. And we give this excuse that people have a free will. And no matter how Brother Clay prays for something or however you pray for something, doesn't mean it's going to turn out that way because people have a free will. I think that's a lousy excuse because God is greater than the will of men. And so when it comes to our prayer life and things that we desire or want, what happens? What's the secret to successful praying? What's the mystery behind answered prayer. Well, John gives us a little glimpse here, and then he gives us an example. Tonight, we'll continue on with the rest of the chapter. I'm just going to try to go, or the rest of the text. I'm just going to try to go through the first part. So let's discover together the secret of prayer. It's found there in verse 13. Let's look at that again. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have Eternal life. Eternal life. People that have eternal life are the only ones who can approach God with confidence. 
the Bible uses another word, boldness. I can come to the Lord boldly. I don't do that arrogantly, but I do that based upon Jesus Christ. He opened the door for us to come to the throne. Amen? The veil's been torn. The door has been opened. Look what it says in uh, the book of Hebrews on the screen. Russell, can you make that first slide go? I'm having trouble here with the brain of the world. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So you see, we have confidence to enter into God's throne room by the blood of Jesus and what he's done for us. That gives us confidence. That gives us boldness. Only believers can do that. Only those with eternal life can do that. That's one secret to praying. This confidence is not in me. It's not what I can do. It's not what I can think and what I can say. This confidence is in Jesus Christ. I am allowed to enter because of him. I can come boldly. I can come confidently knowing that I will be in the presence of God to ask a request. The first key to successful prayer is having eternal life. Amen? Now look in verse 14. It says here, This is the confidence which we have before Him. Right? Not around Him. Not somewhere else going in prayer. When you pray, I want you to picture yourself coming into the throne room of God. That has confidence. That has boldness. You come into the throne room of God. You are before Him. Amen? When you're driving your car, you still can come into the presence of God in His throne before Him. When you're in your bed, laying nightly asleep you, and praying, you can still come to God in His throne room boldly because you are before Him. So come confidently is a key. Having eternal life is a key. And in before Him is a key. You've got to picture yourself to have successful prayer in the presence of God. We don't come mumbling words. We don't come repeating a prayer daily. We don't come and read the Lord's Prayer, asking God to, to do this and bless us like that. That Lord's Prayer was simply an example of how to pray. It's not a prayer for you to pray. Amen? Hey, it's great to say that. It's great to memorize that. But it's not a repetitious prayer that you need to say every day. Jesus said, in fact, don't come like that repeating things. You come boldly, confidently, with eternal life, under the blood of Christ, before the throne of God, and then you talk to Him. Right? Don't come with those repetitious prayers, Jesus said. We don't mumble, we come humble. Alright? Prayer is asking God. It's not telling God. You know, there's some people that you listen to. Amen? You can't tell them anything. You've got to listen to them. 
Does God say that about you when you come to pray? Here he comes. Can't get, I can't get a word in edgewise with that guy. All he does is talk. Prayer is not telling God anything. Jesus said, your heavenly Father already knows what you need before you come. Prayer then is asking God, not telling God. Look what it says in James chapter 4. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So when we come to God, we don't assume things. We don't recollect things. We come asking. And we come asking with a proper motive. What is that motive? Let's go back to the example of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. What is the purpose of God? Thy kingdom come. Amen? Thy will be done. So when you come to God in prayer, you better come in reference to His kingdom. You better come with the idea that you want to see that come as He wants to see that come, and you come to God with the idea of His will being accomplished. So the key to prayer is praying about the kingdom and about the will of God. Now, there are multitudes of things outside of that that you and I pray about. And that's why we don't always get a positive response. Because we pray outside of the will of God, or we pray outside of the kingdom of God. And listen, God is about the kingdom and His will. Anything outside of that, you cannot assume to be answered in a positive way. Right? Lord, what pair of socks do I put on today? I've heard people say, you need to pray like that. Well, if you want to pray like that, go ahead. But if that has nothing to do with the kingdom and the will of God you're probably not going to get an answer of which socks to put on. Amen? You see that? So when we, the key to successful praying is praying in the will of God and then praying about the kingdom of God. God is not a, a prayer is not an Aladdin's lamp where we run to our prayer closet and we pull out our lamp and we rub it and all of a sudden God appears poof like a bellboy at a motel ready to serve you whatever you need. That is not prayer. And that is certainly not what God is about, and that's certainly not what He wants to accomplish, right? The concept then has this concept of, of getting what we need and getting what we want has perverted prayer worldwide. I know y'all have seen them on TV, the TV evangelists, the faith healers, and they demand that God heal this person because they have the right to ask God, right? But this person doesn't get healed. What happened? This faith healer is praying in a perverse way. You don't put demands on God in prayer, right? You don't ask God or demand that He do anything. When you really look at those people, you will understand this, that God is a junior partner in their business. 
They're asking things they don't have any right to ask. A patient and long-suffering God. Oh yeah, we can pray for the healing of people, but we don't demand it. We don't tell God that He's going to do it. And then we turn around when they're not healed and tell them they don't have enough faith. Right? That's hogwash. That is total hogwash. It's not biblical. It is perverted way of praying. God is not that way. He doesn't want you to be that way. He's teaching you today how he wants you to pray. Praying is obtaining the will of God and then going to him and speaking to him about it. Prayer, successful prayer, is limited then by God's will and by God's purpose. If you pray outside that purpose, you have no assurance. We too often want what we want, right? And we pray about it. Let me read you a little prayer that a young lady wrote on her wedding day. Okay, it says this, dear God, I can hardly believe that this is my wedding day. I know I haven't been able to spend much time with you lately with all of the rush of getting ready for today. And I am sorry. I guess also that I feel a little guilty when I try to pray about all of this since Larry still isn't a Christian. But, oh, father, I love him so much. What else can I do? I just couldn't give him up. Oh, you must save him some way, somehow. You know how much I prayed for him and the way we've discussed the gospel together. I've tried not to appear too religious. I know, but that's because I didn't want to scare him off. Yet he isn't antagonistic, and I can't understand why he hasn't responded. Oh, if only he were a Christian. Dear Father, please bless our marriage. I don't want to disobey you, but I do love him, and I want to be his wife. So please be with us today, and please bless my wedding day, and don't allow anything to spoil it. Hey, that sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's pretty genuine. Let's take, however, all of the pious speaking out of that prayer, and here's what she really said to God. Dear Father... I don't want to disobey you, but I must have my own way at all cost. For I love what you, I'm sorry, for I love what doesn't love you. And I want what you don't want. So please be a good God and deny yourself and move off your throne and let me take over. If you don't like this, then all I ask is that you bite your lip and say or do nothing that will spoil my plans and let me enjoy myself. That's kind of insulting to God, isn't it? But that's how we pray sometimes. When you pray outside of the will of God or you pray outside of the kingdom or the purpose of God, you're insulting Him. Don't do that anymore. Stop praying like that. Okay? I know that most of you don't pray like that. But I know there's times when we want what we want, when we want it. And we pray in that fashion and when it comes to it, we are really insulting the Heavenly Father. Praying outside of God's will is insulting to Him. Look what David said in Psalm 66. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. What is he saying there? If I keep sin in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. So I pray before him, I ask him according to his will and according to his purpose. Sometimes we're not sure what to say then just zip it. Amen? 
Paul told us what to do. If you don't know what to say and you don't know what to pray, zip it. Remain in a prayer posture. Remain in the spirit, in the prayer. But here's what Paul said about it, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'm going to give away my age a little bit, but how many of you here remember the old Sears catalog? Anybody remember that? Woohoo! All right. Man, when I was a kid and that came in the mail, that was like going to the candy store. Me and my brother would lay on the floor and open that thing up and just go through that with hundreds, if not thousands of things in that book that we could. Could you imagine back then we could order something and they would deliver it to our house? Boom. Right? Boom. Mind-blowing. Well, they wouldn't deliver it. We'd have to go pick it up at the Sears store. But still, you could get whatever you wanted in that magazine. But how foolish it would have been if I would have ordered something for Christmas that wasn't in the magazine. And I had mom call him up or dad and say, hey, my boy wants this, but it's not in your magazine. And they said, well, we can't, we can't get that. It's outside of our scope. That's the same as you and I praying for things outside of the kingdom or outside of the will of God. You shouldn't expect to get it, Right? You shouldn't expect to receive those things that are outside God's will. It's useless to do and to pray in that way. So outside of God's will, we need to understand that we won't get what we're asking. Things outside of the will of God will end up destroying us. Bob read some text earlier. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26. And he said, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That's outside the kingdom of God, isn't it? That's outside the will of God, isn't it? Jesus himself asking his father to deliver him from the cross. But he ends up his prayer with this, but not my will, but yours be done. If you ask for something outside of the kingdom, which it's okay to do, you better end that ask with a not my will, but yours be done. And understand that. Amen? That's a key to praying successfully. That's a key to not being disappointed. That it's God's will that is involved here, not yours. And it's God's kingdom. All right? Let's look at the slide. The difficulty in prayer is knowing what God's will is. Now, you said, Brother Clay, in order for me to pray successfully, I've got to pray in God's will. How do I know what God's will is? Well, let's uh, talk about that a minute. There is a, a couple of God's wills, if so to speak. Uh, one of them, well, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself. There is a decreed will of God, which is decreed by Him. There is a will of God that He desires. Give you an example. God decreed that not everyone would be saved. Narrow is the way to heaven and few find it. Wide is the way to hell and many find it. God decreed that. God's desire, though, the Bible says, is that all men would be saved. So there is the will of God that he has decreed, which means it's going to happen. 
But then there's also the will of God that he desires. So we have to be able to pray like that. Now I have to trust God with that. Amen? That he knows best. Paul writes in Ephesians, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Who counsels God? Nobody. Nobody counsels God. He counsels himself. And he's working all things out according to the counsel of his will. God is doing that. So, a decreed will of God. God decreed that all, or God desires that all would be saved, but God decreed that there would be a fall of Adam and Eve. He also decreed that there would be a cross of Jesus Christ. He also decreed that there would be a resurrection of His Son. And so we see the desire of God for all to be saved, but we see the decree that God planned for the fall of man. God's ways are not our ways. There's difficulty in prayer. Think about this, John the Baptist. John is arrested by Herod, put into prison, right? John has disciples. Don't you think that his disciples are praying that God would release John? I'm sure they were. If I was a disciple of John, I would be praying for him, wouldn't you? Amen. And so, what happens? John's head's cut off. What happened, Lord? We were praying for him to be set free. That he could go on and, and continue in his ministry. What about the guy that wrote this letter? This epistle. John the Apostle. His brother James is arrested. Put into prison. Don't you think John was praying for his brother? To be released? To be set free? That he could go on and serve in the kingdom of God here on earth? I'm sure he was. I would have been if it was my brother... But what happens? Herod kills James. John doesn't get his request. And in the same way, Peter's put into prison under similar circumstances, but Peter is set free. And John knows this. Why kill my brother and let Peter go free? Lord, my prayers weren't answered. Why? Knowing the will of God is difficult. You've got to understand there is a decreed will of God. There is a desired will of God. Amen? So how do I know the difference in that? Well, prayer is not a name it and claim it. What am I trying to say? Proposition. We've, we've heard that taught in denominational circles. You, circles. You, you say it, you name it, you claim it. It's happening. Amen? Man, how many times have you done that and you never got a hold of it? All of us have. We've all prayed like that. We've all wanted it. We've all believed. Oh, I believe, God. I believe. I believe. And the more you say that, the more you convince yourself. But now it's up to you to believe it enough to make it happen. If it's not in God's decreed will, my friend, no matter how much you want it or believe it, it isn't going to happen. It might happen. If you don't want it, right? There's just a way that God deals with His people in this prayer example. So God's will is that His kingdom would come. And guess what? That has been God's will from the time of Adam. So for thousands of years, there have been this 
desire, this working, this fulfilling of God's purpose and God's will on earth. Now let's take it a step further. We see the decreed will, we see the desired will. Let's go to another realm of the will of God in the hearing and the having. Look in verse 16. It says... No, I'm sorry, verse 15. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. So the prayer that God hears, the believer praying that prayer knows that God hears it. Why? Because it's in God's will. He hears those prayers in His will. And He answers those prayers in His will. He might hear your prayer if it's outside of His will. But the one He's going to give you the request you're asking for is inside His will. So John says, if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, because we've asked it in His will and in His purpose and in His kingdom, then we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. So we have this hearing and we have this having portion of the message today. If God hears us, He will. If I pray in His will, He will hear me. If He hears me, then I know that He has given me the request. So it's almost like as I'm praying, I should end the request with, Thank you, God. Thank you, God, because I've prayed in Your will. I know You've heard me, and I know I have that request. Think about Jesus. Did He go around wondering about God? Did He go around saying, Oh, I I wonder if I should pray for this. I wonder what God's going to say. I wonder if Jesus never talked like that. He never prayed like that. Jesus went around thanking God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Why? Because Jesus spoke to him in his will. Jesus spoke to him about his kingdom. The key to successful praying is being in the will of God and about the kingdom of God. In anything outside of that, you are assuming an answer. So understand, Jesus didn't pray outside of that. Psalms 84, verse 11 on the screen. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. You want a request from God? Then make it part of His kingdom. Make it part of His will, and you'll get it. Amen? That's how that works. James says you ask, and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. Because you want to spend it on your pleasure, and not on the kingdom, and not on the will of God. We need to change the way we pray, don't we? Believe God grants according to His will. Listen, we, we can't kid ourselves and close our eyes and ask for God something and put His will on it at the end and then open our eyes and expect it to be there. It doesn't work like that, okay? It has to be according to His will before you even start praying about it. Prayer in God's will is absolutely certain. This is what John was trying to teach us today. For most people, prayer is an experiment, Let me try this. Let me pray it like this. For John, it was not that way. It was a sure thing because he understood about the will of God and the timing of God. Now, we can pray in the will of God and we can pray on the purpose of God and in the kingdom of God. But there's one factor that we cannot control and that is timing. 
I said earlier, there's been people I prayed for to be saved, and I said they haven't been saved yet. Right? It's God's desire that all men be saved, but it's His decreed will that most won't. So in my prayer, I don't know what's what or who's who, but all I know is I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to pray. And it's, the timing is in God's hands, right? Abraham and Sarah prayed for a son. 25 years it took for that answer to become reality for them. The timing is in God's hands. Now, we need to pray confidently. Look in Luke 11 on the screen. Jesus said this, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Of course not. Then Jesus says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to those who ask? Right? You ask in accordance with God's will and about God's kingdom. You can just say thank you at the end because it's yours. Amen? Don't ask thinking you're going to spend it on yourself. You ask, you're going to spend it in the kingdom. So we learn how to pray confidently. We learn how to pray carefully. All right? Now let's go on to the example. And this is a very difficult passage, and you'll see why when we read it again, to trans- not to translate, but to interpret and to understand. Verse 16. You will probably leave this room with more questions than you have answers when I get done with this, okay? I'm sorry to say that. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. Wow. That's tough. What is he talking about? Sin leading to death. A sin not leading to death. Man, there's different views. All right? I don't know if I put them all up here or not. Yes, I did. The first one. This sin leading to death. Some say it is a terrible sin like suicide or murder, or something along those lines that God cannot forgive. Well, we need to throw that idea out the window, right? Because God does forgive. After all, Paul was a murderer. Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer. If that's true, then those men are in hell. Let's throw that out the window. We know better than that, okay? The sin leading to death. The second idea is it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, now that's got ears perked because Jesus said that's the only unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, we got a problem, though, with the text and that idea. Because if you look in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, then we need to pray for him and God will give him life. So if he's a brother, he cannot commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a total rejection of Jesus Christ. Right? If you're a Christian, you can't do that. You can't even do it later. All right? We might call that apostasy, which, by the way, is the next idea of a sin leading to death. But blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be the right answer because it is in the text we're talking about each other. Brothers. Amen? Now, some scholars want to say, well, that's, that's brother used in a general term, like you might meet a stranger on the street and call him brother. Right? Well, that's not so either because that is, if he's a non-Christian, he can still be saved. If he's a Christian, he can't blaspheme. If he's a non-Christian, he can still be saved. So you've got to throw this blasphemy of the Spirit as the idea behind this text of a sin leading to death out the window. So what's the third one? The apostasy. Apostasy from the faith. Well, now some people think that a person comes along in the church and then they turn their back on the church in Christ and they go out the door and they never come back. They turn away from the faith. That's, that's the idea of apostasy, the turning away from the faith. So John is speaking about, in his whole 1 John letter, about false teaching. And he even mentions in it they, that they went out from us because they were never part of us. So does he call these people a brother? Or he should call them a false brother or a false teacher. So the idea there of a, an apostasy is a valid to a degree, but... In actuality, it can't be because the Bible teaches us that whenever you become in the hands of God, nothing can snatch you out, not even yourself. So you cannot turn away from God. The apostasy mentioned in, in Timothy is people who have gone to church and believe, so to speak, in a God but then they never met him, never were saved, and they turn away from that belief, and they go on about their merry life a different direction. That's the apostasy of the faith. The apostasy of the truth would be a good way to put that. The world turning from the truth of God. So that can't be this. So what else could it be? Well, there's one more idea. When he mentions death here, he's mentioning physical death. Inflicted on those persisting in their sin. A brother in the church, a Christian who falls into sin and continues in that sin, God says he's committing sin leading to his physical death. You know, for the Bible to interpret itself, we have to look at examples of that in the Bible. And I have some I want to share with you, all right? Uh, let's look uh, on the screen, if I put it up here. Ah, I didn't. Okay, I'm going to have to turn to it. Deuteronomy chapter 3. You can look if you want, but I'm going to just get to it and read it real quick, all right? This is Moses, and you remember that Moses... Uh, God told Moses to strike the rock and water would come out, all right? And, and this he did. And then the second time, God said to Moses, I want you to speak to the rock, all right? 
and water will come out. Well, Moses got in a bind and he was upset. And you know what Moses did? He struck it again, which was a picture of Christ the rock being struck twice. And God said, Moses, you have disgraced me in front of the people. I told you to speak to that rock, not to strike it. And because of that, you will not be allowed to go into the promised land. So Moses gave up that right to go into the promised land. At the, at the end of his life, in Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses said this, But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, in, I'm sorry, Verse 23, I also pleaded with the Lord at this time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant Moses your greatness and your strong hand for what God is there in heaven on earth who can do such works as mighty acts as yours. Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough, speak to me no more of this matter. That's not very fair of God. All those 80 years of service from Moses. And now God's going to keep him from the promised land because he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. But guess what? God said, you disgraced me. You disgraced me in front of the people. So therefore you will not enter. Now Moses lived a few more years before he came to his death, before entering into the promised land. That's one example. Let's go to another example. Joshua chapter 7. The Israelites invade Jericho. They defeat it. God says, don't take anything from the city. No food, no jewelry, no gold, no animals, no people, nothing. Take nothing. What happens? A young man named Nacon, he's going in there fighting, swinging swords, and he sees a wedge of gold laying on the ground and some beautiful material. He scoops it up and puts it under his clothes and runs back to his tent, buries it in the sand. Guess what? They go on to fight Ai, and they get defeated. God tells Joshua, there's sin in your camp. So through a process, they find out that it's Achan. What do they do with Achan? They take him out and stone him to death. Poor Achan. All he did was take a wedge of gold and a piece of garment. But he disgraced God. He disgraced God's word to the people. And so God took his life. Just like Moses. Let's do another example. Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira. Hey, everybody's selling things and giving to the church and money and people are being blessed and possessions. And Ananias and Sapphira come along and guess what? They lie about what they've done. They sold some property, but they kept some of the money for themselves and then gave some to the church. And Peter said, why did you lie? The Holy Spirit revealed to me that you lied. Did you lie? And Ananias said, yes. Boom, he drops dead. In comes his wife a few minutes later. Did you lie about this? Yes. Boom, she drops dead. God took them out immediately because they disgraced His name in the church. People think, well, that doesn't happen today. Yes, it does happen today. Let me give you another example from the Bible. Paul, to the Corinthians, they have a man sleeping with his dad's wife. Amen? And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, you need to deal with that man. 
He says, here's what I want you to do with him. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his body that his spirit may be saved. Paul says, let him die so that he can live. God wanted to take him out. There are plenty of examples of that in the Bible. It's not always that way. Man, if that was, that, if that was true, in our world today, this place would be empty and you wouldn't have anybody up here speaking to you. If I ever disgraced the name of God in my life as a Christian, which I have, and I'm sure you have too. And so it doesn't happen immediately, but sometimes it does. I shared a story with you about a church out in western Oklahoma that I knew a man who was a deacon in the church and he was a, a, a man of faith and he was a high a roller in the society. And guess what? He got out in a boat by himself on Lake Fort Cobb, drowned. What happened? Well, it came out later that he was doing things illegally. Okay? He was doing things wrong, disgracing the name of God. So, when it comes to verse 16 and 17, we see that if we see someone committing a sin, not leading to death. What is that? Somebody who is not practicing sin, but they committed sin. And maybe they're getting hooked into that sin. You and I need to pray. It doesn't say go to him immediately. It says pray for him immediately. Then God may lead you to go to him. But the idea is that God, through your prayers, would give life to that person who is trapped in that or beginning that. But there is a sin leading to death. And God says, I don't ask you to request prayer for him because my mind is made up. Moses said, God, let me go in. I know I made a mistake, but please let me go in and see the beautiful land. And God said, Moses, hush. And don't speak to me anymore about it. My mind is made up. Today, we hear about praying. We hear about praying confidently. We learn about praying carefully. And all of that has to do with tonight when we talk about guarding ourselves. What do I need to guard myself from? That I don't get trapped in sin that becomes persistent that begins to disgrace God in his church in his kingdom guard yourself from that what do I do brother Clay pray yourself forsake that sin turn from that sin get rid of that sin stop it today that sin whatever you have to do if you've got to move away from here, move. If you've got to cut your hand off, cut your hand off. If you've got to pluck your eye out, pluck your eye out. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? It'd be better to go to heaven with one eye than to go into hell with both eyes. So there's things that we can do to stop the sin persistently in our life. Nobody knows, Brother Clay. He knows. What can man do to me? Nothing but fear him who can cast your body into hell. 
That's what you need to fear. That's what you need to be aware of. That's what you need to be looking out for. Tonight we're going to look at how to do that, right? We're going to look at how to guard ourselves. Confess your sin. Forsake that sin unless it grows into a habit of persistent, God-disgracing sin, my friend, because you never know when He might take you. Let's pray. Lord, bless our day. Bless this word. Father, bless each person here that's heard it. Bless us with the repentance of our sin and the forgiveness, Father, that comes from you. Help us to forsake our sin. Help us to turn to you in truth. Lord, the time is near of your return. We know that. We see the things lining up. And I pray today that there is a person in this room that doesn't leave today without being sure of their stance and their posture with you where they stand father i pray you speak to them right now open their heart to you god let your holy spirit move in this place help us all to learn to pray in your will and in your kingdom help us to be confident in it thank you for hearing it and thank you for answering it ahead of time in jesus name we pray amen david